the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would all the kids up through the 12th grade please come forward? Where you are? No, right there. No, no, you can sit right here. Let him sit right there. <laughs> Good morning. I brought the I brought y'all up here so you could help me explain the Trinity to everybody, the Holy Trinity. This is the feast of the, the Holy Trinity, right? Oh, and what is the Trinity? What is the Trinity? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's good. And so that is our God, right? We are Trinitarian people believing in what God? Your daddy's here. I saw him earlier. Yeah, that's good. I, I want to test your math skills. Will you do that? Will you do that with me? Okay. Two plus three. Five. 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 You got it. You got it. Wait, four plus five equals nine. 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 Everybody agree? Wait, wait. Nine, you got it. How about five plus eleven? Sixteen. Sixteen. Sixteen? They good? Yeah, you got it. Sixteen. I have to look because I don't know these answers. How about forty-three plus twelve? Five. Huh? Fifty-five. Huh? Yeah, fifty-five. Huh? 55, you got it. How about 1 plus 1 plus 1? 3. What? Wait, wait. 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals God. <laughs> 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals God? Well, you, you got a point. 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 3. Okay, okay we, 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 we switch from earthly mathematics to to holy mathematics, okay? So, one plus one plus one equals... One plus one plus one equals one? What? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one, two, three. One plus one plus one equals one God. Wow, that's holy mathematics. That's that's something they don't teach you in school too much. But we believe that, don't we? Don't we believe that about God? That God created us, that God loves us, that God came down and became one of us, and that God is still with us right now? You know, I see your daddy. I know where your daddy is, right over there. Yeah. And you know where my daddy is? No, I know it's your daddy, but my daddy... My daddy is, my daddy yeah, is in heaven. Uh, well, how did you know that? Because you're way Because I'm too, God, go ahead and say it. Because I'm too old to have a daddy still living. That's what you were thinking. You're, yes. You said it. But, but, but I also have a father, another father that we all share, that we all, right? That's right. We all have the same father. father our father in heaven. Right? And he came down from heaven, 
and became the Son of Man, Jesus. And Jesus went back up to heaven and he sent his Holy Spirit, right? And yeah, we have a brother. So we have a father, we have a brother, and we have a Holy Spirit within us. One God, though. One God. If anybody ever to ask you, how many gods do y'all believe in? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? You say, one, one God. is holy mathematics. That's all it is. Holy mathematics. One God. Is that, am I getting close? Okay, just checking. Uh, good. All right. They teach you all that in school? <laughs> okay. All right. That, um, that's enough for today. Okay. We'll do some more mathematics at another time. Okay. I might check your English next week. What? <laughs> what? 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 All right. Uh, if you want to get a packet from Mr. Deer over here, you're more than welcome to do that. If you want to get a packet so you can color and yeah, right over here. As we listen to Father Michael. For those of you who may not have been math all-stars during school, I will be offering inner healing prayer after the service for those of you who may need it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing unto you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I just want to say welcome and good morning to everyone who is with us this morning. I hope you all were able to stay dry last night. I don't know about you all, but I got woken up at about 1.30 with the rain. Um, but turns out we need rain, so we give praise and thanks for God for that rain. I just do want to welcome any newcomers that we may have with us specifically. You may have noticed on your way in, but in the lobby or the narthex of our building, there's a welcome desk. There's lots of wonderful gifts in that desk for you. I want to draw your attention specifically to a welcome folder that we have. Uh, that is our gift to you. It has lots of information about the church. If there's any questions that are not answered in that packet, feel free to come up to myself, the other clergy, or the leadership, and we'll do our best to answer your questions. Uh, now, if you are joining us for the first time, perhaps you're new to Anglicanism, and uh, as Anglicans, we follow what's called the liturgical calendar, it's the historical calendar of the church, and today is the Sunday after Pentecost, which means it's Trinity Sunday. This is the day in the church calendar whenever we uh, are particularly thankful for and we acknowledge God and we worship him as he has revealed himself to us, three persons and one God, Right? And I want to talk about the Trinity this morning, but before I do so, I feel like there's a couple ground rules that need to be laid, all right? Uh, the first one is that when we're talking about the Trinity, there needs to be a nature of humility when talking about the theological truth that is three in one, right? Entire books have been written about this truth, Entire careers have been given to trying to understand the fullness that is the Trinity. And here's another fun fact about God. We just have to acknowledge that he is, that he is just big, all right? He is eternal. And for those of you who love to learn new things, here's a little fun fact for you. In the new heavens and the new earth, because God is eternal, there will always be something new to learn about God always and forever. There will always be something new, right? That's what eternal 
means, right? And so whenever we as humans approach a holy, expansive, eternal God, there needs to be a measure of humility when we do so that will acknowledge that there will always be parts of God that we will not understand. We can spend an eternity, and because he is so eternal, we'll never fully get there. Yeah? And so that's a measure of humility we need to have whenever we can begin talking about the Trinity and the impact it has on our lives as disciples of Christ. Now, here's the good news. What makes the Trinity so radical, what makes the Trinity so amazing for you and for me is that even with as expansive and eternal and unknowable as God is, he is 100% knowable. You can have a relationship with the fullness that is God, right? What does the Gospel of John teach us? That the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, right? We know that's the person of Jesus Christ, and we know that we can have a relationship with our Savior, with Jesus Christ. And when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not like you're getting just a third of God, You're getting all of God. 100% God is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, as as unknowable as God is, you can have a relationship with him through Christ. All of God. Just this last Sunday, we celebrated the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to the church, right? Right? Pentecost and the Holy Spirit is rife with Old Testament illusions, right? How there's the tabernacle and the desert and how God's glory came and dwelt therein and how Moses spoke to the burning bush and there's this fire. And even in the Genesis reading that we just had, how the wind of God was hovering over the face of the waters, right? And what happened in the day of Pentecost and what continues to happen in the life of the church is that third person of the Trinity came and dwells with you and me inside of us, right? All of those illusions in the Old Testament point to the fact that you and I now have the third person of the Trinity dwelling inside you. That is how intimate and how knowable we can be with our God, right? So as vast and as unknowable as God is and how God can be, you and I can have a very intimate relationship with him, with 100% of God. That is what the Trinity means for you and for me today. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to turn to our passage in Genesis, right? And just in case you're worried, I'm not going to read it again. And I know it was long. But if you do have uh, your Bible, I encourage you to open it up to Genesis. I encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a pew Bible nearby. You have the scripture inserts. Uh, I believe most of you probably have a smart device that probably has a Bible app on it. So I encourage you to get that out. As well, it's very important to have the scriptures in front of you if you can manage it. We're going to be in the beginning of Genesis Uh, Before we uh, dive into Genesis, again, just as I laid some ground rules about the Trinity, I also want to lay some ground rules about Genesis as well, right? There's two things we're going to be looking at whenever we look at Genesis, and we're going to see how the truths that are laid in the book of Genesis, in in this passage of Genesis, point towards the Trinity, 
and how that then impacts you and me in our life as Christians, right? So point one is that God creates a world that is orderly. God creates a world that makes sense, yeah? I know there's a lot we don't know about the world, but there's a lot to the world that makes sense, right? The second point is that God created us to be his image bearers. And there's a lot to be said about what that means, but we're just going to begin to touch on it this morning. What does it mean to be an image bearer? And how do we fit into that role within creation, right? Now, one last final ground rule that I want to lay out before we go into Genesis is I am not ignorant to the fact that there has been a lot said about the first two chapters of Genesis within the entire history of Western thought, right? So you can have a lot of feelings about Genesis 1, 2, and 3, right? And I just want you to know that what I'm about to expound upon in Genesis should not and need not change whatever view you have about Genesis 1, 2, and 3, all right? What I hope to do is just draw your attention to an aspect to this story that maybe you haven't thought about before. However, maybe you've thought about this particular aspect of the story I'm about to lay out, and this is just a nice refresher for you, all right? But whatever sort of view you have about Genesis 1, 2, and 3, that need not change with what I'm about to show you, okay? All right. So this is not a trick question. How many days did it take for God to create the world, right? Not a trick question. Six, Six, right? Six, and then God rested on the seventh day, right? There is a whole sermon about the Sabbath in here that I really wanted to preach on, but we're going to leave that for another day, right? Okay? But just know the Sabbath is important, right? But God created the world in six days, right? Here we go. When you look at the creation story, again, regardless of whatever sort of views you have on the creation story, what you can see, and maybe you've noticed this before, maybe you haven't noticed this before, is that days one, two, and three line up with days four, five, and six. Specifically, day one lines up with day four. Day two lines up with day five. Day three lines up with day six. Yeah? You following me? So let's just break it down for a second. Day one, God creates light, right? He creates the greater light, and he creates the lesser light, right? And so he kind of creates day and night on day one, right? Day two, he creates the waters, and there's the waters that he creates that become the oceans, and then he creates the expanse that is above the waters, and we call that the sky. Maybe your translation says the heavens, right? So he creates the water, the oceans, and he creates the heavens, right? So that's day two. So oceans and sky, day two, yeah? Day three, he creates what? He tells all the waters, Again, he speaks, and all the waters collect into one spot on the ground, right? And then on the earth, and then ground appears, right? And then he creates vegetation, and vegetation begins to grow, right? So that's the end of day three. And so what we have now is all of the space, days one, two, and three, God creates all the space. Then days four, five, and six, he creates all the stuff to fill all the space, right? So day one space, or day one, two, three space, day four, five, and six stuff, right? So then let's look again. So day one, we were night and day. 
So day four, what does he create? The sun and the moon and the stars to fill, to rule over that aspect of creation, right? So the sun, obviously, we know is associated with the day, and we have the moon at night, and the stars come out at night, right? So day one and day four line up. Day five, we have what? The fish and the birds, right? So the birds now are flying through the sky, and you have the fish swimming through the oceans, right? So you have those two things now filled. And then on day six, we have animals are created, and then the culmination of that is humanity, which I'm going to save for our second point. But just know that God had a plan, and what God is laying out in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, regardless of, well, like I said, whatever sort of view you have on Genesis 1, 2, and 3, what he's showing us is that he creates a world that has an order to it, right? We have a world that, when you think about it, makes sense, right? That's why we don't see fishes swimming through the air in front of us, or we don't see birds flying through the ground, right? If we did, we'd have problems, right? Something would be wrong. There's other aspects to a world that make sense, right? If I take my Bible and I drop it, it's going to drop every time, right? It doesn't matter how many times I'm up here and I drop my Bible, it's going to drop, right? For whatever reason, my Bible were to not drop, we would have bigger problems than Father Michael's sermon illustration not working, right? But there's an aspect to this world that makes sense. And even if you talk to people that study the natural world, physicists and biologists and chemists, right, they'll tell you that there's a lot to this world that we know. But what we do know when you kind of look at it, common sense says, well, yeah, okay, I can see that, you know. The fish are in the oceans, birds in the air, everybody else on land. That makes sense, right? And what we have here is that this truth that we have a, uh, a world that makes sense, this points back to God. The created points back to the creator, right? If you read Romans in the first few chapters of Romans, that's what Paul is talking about, that there's invisible qualities, invisible attributes about creation that point back to the creator, right? If the world that God created has this order to it, it should make sense that then he would have an order to himself, right? And now we can't get the entire doctrine of the Trinity within the first couple chapters of Genesis, but what we can get is say, okay, we have a God that created something to make sense, created something that has order to it. It would make sense that then God would have an order to himself, right? That if creation points back to the creator, that there's an order to himself, right? And what you and I know now is that that is the Trinity, right? This three-in-one truth that we know about God. But what I just want to draw your attention to is that God created a world that has an order to it and that then points back to him. Yeah? All right. Let's now dive in. We're going to be in verse 26 specifically. So if you have your Bible, open it up to verse 26. I'm in the ESV. Most of you are probably in the ESV, but if you're not, don't panic. We're going to be fine. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Now, two things I want to draw your attention to in this particular passage. The first one is that if your translation, like mine does, translates the human word or the uh, Hebrew word Adam as man, that does not mean that only men are created in God's image, right? If you read further down, it says male and female, he created them, right? So both male and female are created in God's image. That's just the word, Adam, is the same word that also means Adam. It also means humanity, right? Some of your translations probably went ahead and translated that word humanity to draw that emphasis out. Others just wanted to be more literal in their translations. Both are fine, but I just didn't want anybody to be confused in whatever sort of translation you are choosing to use this morning. Yeah? The second thing I want to draw our attention to is right at the beginning of verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Seems to me it would be a little weird for a, if God was just one person, for a God who was just one person to use a first person plural pronoun when talking about himself. That would be weird, wouldn't it, right? But what we have here is again just a hint that points towards the Trinity found within scripture, right? Nowhere in scripture is like the Trinitarian formula explicitly laid out, right? And the reason why I personally think that is is because if God is eternal, it probably would take an eternity to fully explain who he is, and there's no book long enough to do that, right? But we can have points and signposts that point back to him, right? And so that first person plural, the reason why your Bible translators translated that verse in that way is that The word that's used there is one of the many names that's attributed to God, Elohim, right? You probably have also heard of Yahweh or Jehovah or Adonai. These are all just words that God, or names that God has for himself. Elohim is one of them. And in Hebrew, that yim at the end of Elohim is how you make a a noun plural in the Hebrew. Fun fact. So Elohim is is in of itself a name that has a plurality to it. And it points to this Trinitarian nature of God. So then what does this Trinitarian God, right? This God that has many aspects to himself, right? Three persons, one God. He creates us to bear his image, right? Now what does that mean, to be an image bearer of God? What scripture tells us, and what I think if we just look at the history of the world, what it looks like is that you and I, uniquely, among creation, have this amazing capacity about us, right? I don't see any other wonderful and beautiful creatures found in God's creation coming up with the idea of the 747. I don't see any other creatures in all of God's creation coming up with the space shuttle or the Ford F-150, particularly the new electric one. You know, if you wanted to make a little donation to Father Michael, I wouldn't be opposed, just saying. But you don't see that amongst creation, right? You see some particularly intelligent creatures doing like basic tool stuff, which is cool to see, but no other creature comes close to what humanity has accomplished, right? Look at this building, right? 
This is way bigger than a beaver dam, right? Within creation, us humans, we have this amazing capacity to do good. And we have this profound ability to do evil. In the garden, we have the fall, right? Adam and Eve disobeyed the commandments of God, and all of a sudden, sin and death enter into the world, right? And begin to warp our desires to be ones that are antithetical to God. And because we have this ability within us as image bearers to do profound good or evil, all you need to do is open up a history book and see how profoundly evil we can be. Look at the news today. And you can see how profoundly evil we can be. But, but, here is the good news. The gospel, quite literally, right? Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, came and died on the cross for you and for me to rescue us from the powers of sin and death in this world and to help us become profoundly human once again, drawing us back to our original design that God had for us in the Garden of Eden to be caretakers of this world, so that as God's image bears, we can share his glory to the world, right? As image bearers, we bear his image to the world, right? Whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer, there is this line in the middle, and it says, on earth as it is in heaven. That's our job, is to join Christ, to join God in the work that he is doing in bringing about the new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, and creating his earth a little bit more like he wants it to be, right? A little bit more heavenly, right? That's going to culminate in the new heavens and the new earth, right? But in the meantime, you and I are called to join him in that work and making the world a little bit more like heaven. And when we do that, we point back to a God who is holy, we point back to a God who is Trinitarian. We point back to a God that is in many ways completely unknowable and yet completely knowable in the person of Jesus, right? That's the job that we do as image bearers. So on this Trinity Sunday, I know there's a lot more that can be said about the Trinity, but on this Trinity Sunday, what I want you to remember, if you remember nothing else, is that God desires you to take your place again as an image bearer for him and to help him make the world maybe just a little nicer. Bear that light. Bear the good news. Bring about the kingdom in the way that he's calling you to. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.